listening to the Ed Reach Network. Ed Gamer, episode 36 on EdReach, 1 to 1, CES, and Apple. This is Ed Gamer for Sunday, January 15th, 2012. Yes, I said Sunday because it's. I'll explain later. Okay, Ed Gamer is part of the EdReach network, edreach.us, giving education a voice. And Jerry would say, a big voice. And Jerry's not here, so I have two other guests today. And uh, we are excited about that. But uh, this is this show is dedicated to education gaming on any platform. We'll give you the education angle on any type of games, ranging from tabletops to MMOs. We'll discuss how these games impact student learning and how they can be used effectively within the classroom. I'm Zach. And I'm Scott. And I'm Justin. And Scott, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, my name is Scott Whiting. You'll uh, often hear me on that EdReach show, uh, actually. But uh, I'm a, a technology coordinator out of Schaumburg, Illinois. Okay, and uh, you have a—I was going to say relationship, but you have a connection <laughs> to uh, my co-host Jerry. Do you want to explain that one? Oh, sure. Uh, Jerry James is one of my teachers uh, in my building. He's in the art department, and I basically run all the technology for the school that Jerry teaches in. So he needs to keep you happy. He does, because actually without me, he would not be part of the ICE conference and Ed Reach in general. Yeah. So, yeah. That's, <laughs> so, yeah. So scratching backs. Okay. And Justin, uh, tell us something about you. Well, I'm a clinical research coordinator here in uh, Springfield. Uh, my background's in microbiology from the U of I. Um, I spent four years uh, fixing computers for Gateway, the computer company. Um, shows you how how uh, good that uh, degree went for me. But uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but now I'm back uh, running antibiotic trials here in Springfield, uh, and I have two children, uh, 11 and 9. And uh, so Justin is basically saving us from the uh, the plagues. Yeah, I'm and, trying. And other things, so that zombies don't come after us. Yeah. So Justin is 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 a long friend of mine. He is uh, he is my best friend, and we've known each other since seventh grade. And yep. there's not too many, you know, best man of my wedding. There you go. Yeah. So it's it's one of those sayings that um, it's. It's very it's hard to find good friends, and when you ask somebody, you know, who who's your best friend, and if you've known them since seventh grade, that's pretty good. So yeah, we've been playing games together since the Commodore sixty four. So oh yes, wow, <laughs> Ranger. Oh and yes, Starfleet battles, and yeah, so it's when when multiplayer meant oh, okay, you take this half of the keyboard, I'll take this half. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that was, those were the days. Okay, so Justin, and I refer to uh, quite often, uh, almost every week, and uh, he is he is we do a lot of co-op games. So I've been meaning to bring him on the show for uh, a long time. I've been thinking about it, so I thought this week, since Jerry was not able to make it, I, I grabbed Scott and. Uh, you know, so I got an upgrade, I guess. I got Scott's, <laughs> Scott's boss. Uh, just joking, Jerry. And I brought my best friend in. So, uh, my name is Zach Gilbert. I'm your host, and I'm a sixth grade social studies language arts teacher from Normal, Illinois. So, as, this show is about gaming, but we got a lot of things that kind of skirt around gaming and could possibly impact gaming within the classroom and within schools. And Scott and I are both in, uh, <laughs> we're both undertaking what I would consider a revolution in in education and i know that when i was a kid that sitting in a classroom i always dreamed about you know when especially sixth grade first computers came into my my school oh yeah and uh the apple IIe's and so you know i always dreamed that you know someday there's going to be computers on every desk and you know it was a dream you know it was one of those dreams that you you think about and it's happening around the country now but now it's happening uh, to my school district, and Scott's in the same boat. So yep. he is. There are you fully launching a one-to-one pilot ah. this year, or is it kind of you're looking at everything and you'll make whatever step needs to be made for next year? No, well, it's uh, we. It, hmm, it's a it's a hybrid of what you just said. <laughs> we we are we are we are fully launching a pilot next year um, with probably. Um, six teachers per building. We're in a district that's got five primary, uh, five primary high schools as well as two academies, and we've got about thirteen thousand students. And so, basically, you know, you're, we're looking at a pilot launch of about approximately thirty teachers 
and probably somewhere between 180 and 250 devices per building. And so it's what we're in right now is the sort of the, the educational phase, if you will, of trying to figure out what does this all look like and how do we embark on something that's going to uh, impact 13,000 students and um, about 2,000 teachers. And so we are, we are doing everything from in some ways changing the benchmark on the fly as we learn because we're, we're imposing a proposal process and trying to get some structure in place to, for how do we select um, teachers and how do they have an idea of what this is going to mean to be part of it. And then even from there, um, we're not settled on a device or um, some, sort of a, 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 some sort of online portal for content. Yeah. Um, and, and that's getting to, you know, of all the school districts I've talked to who have done this successfully and unsuccessfully, one of the primary things that to a, to a district they say is you need to get content digital because without it being digital, the, the uphill battle of just trying to organize the idea of one-to-one becomes even more immense. Well, and, it's, it's, it's very daunting. It's, it's very scary. I mean, we're, we're, we're at the point now, our first step is to look at whatever, what are, what are our needs and what are we going to use these devices for? And there's some of us in, in my district, you know, we're talking now we're just looking secondary. The committee I'm on is just secondary. And so my district has what, 23 buildings, 13,000 students. And you're looking at four middle schools and two high schools. And that's, that's where I'm at. And so trying to figure out the needs, but not all the teachers really know what the needs are because they've never been in an environment like that, or they can't comprehend that environment because they're not involved with the technology. Uh, it, it, that's one part. Then we've got to update some buildings. And that's really our first step is to how much is it going to cost to update our buildings to wire some of the buildings. We have a couple new schools that are going to be pretty easy. Just go into each room, plop a, um, uh, access point and we're good to go. You got have others where you got to run wires through, and and, and kind of rebuild. Got to thread it and, through the asbestos for. Oh yes, exactly. Yeah, and uh, it's so a good insulator though. It, it's a very good insulator, and uh, yeah, so that's that's where we're at right now. And then, but there's so many other pieces. You have how do the teachers use it? Um, you know, what does their classroom look like? How are you getting the digital content? Because our our committee was actually it's actually called digital conversion. Sure. Because that's part of, you know, there is cost savings there. Yep. But the cost savings has to come where everybody's on the same page. You have the same goals. And just something simple that I don't even know if you have in your in your building. But uh, I know, <laughs> I've heard that we have it in our district office, but not in our schools where, uh, and my wife, she's teaching in a neighboring district, where you can just go to the copy machine, put paper in there, and uh, copy it and save it to your to your H drive. Sure. So it converts it automatically to a PDF. Well, to me, that's that's one of the biggest steps. You got all these documents and papers and things that teachers have used and they still might use them. Well, is everybody going to be sitting at a at a, uh, a scanner putting one paper at a time, you know, to, <laughs> to digitally convert these these items and have them ready for for the classroom? And, and there's tons of questions like that 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 are there. Well, I can tell you it's doable. Um, it, my clinic that I work at has uh, 1,500 employees and, and like 300 doctors and, and providers. And we, in the last, uh, starting in late 2007, just did a total conversion from paper to electronic. Um, and you're trying to drag a 70-year-old doctor by the nose uh, <laughs> to learn how to chart using, uh, using uh, uh, you know, a, a computer is... Uh, and rewiring all these old buildings. It's a very similar challenge to what you're going through. Well, and that's and and the main one of the main reasons is to simplify the documents, making mm -hmm. sure that you're not duplicating documents, uh, being able to share that information and also saving on cost. Mm -hmm. And that's that's done in the business world and the schools are now finally realizing, hmm, this is might this might be something that we're wanting to do. Mm -hmm. It so was, it was a big transition, though. I mean, we we hired uh, temps that probably spent a year scanning in old documents. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And it, you know, it is one of those aspects of as 
as teaching has migrated, and it all depends on the district. I mean, I happen to be in a very fortunate district from a, a technology standpoint. You know, we've we've got five very modern buildings. Every single one of my classrooms is multimedia. Um, you know, we do have a lot of things that people have done digitally um, at the outset. You know, especially my new teachers coming in. You know, most of the things we process is on Microsoft Word, and so you have. You already have something digital unless you have a reading or something else. So uh, for us, I think the scope of getting that information online or getting that information in digital format is a little bit, we feel a little bit ahead of the game there. But one of the aspects when you really start digging down into the one-to-one is it's kind of the idea, and we've toyed with this for a number of years too, writing our own textbooks. Mm -hmm. But it's... Just having that um, worksheet or whatever it is digitally is only a small part of the challenge. You know, yes. trying trying to compile all those worksheets and say, "Hey, we're going to make a textbook out of this." That's really not it because there's a whole lot of narrative that goes with it. And yeah. I think it this is the same aspect that you get from a, from a digital conversion for a one to one environment is. What is all this supplemental material and just supplemental information if you're going to – and something we talk about on uh, EdReach uh, quite often is flipping the classroom. If you're mm-hmm. going to have the primary mode of, of learning outside the classroom so when they come into the classroom, the educator is not just a teacher but also a guide and a coach and, and somebody who is on the side to help students understand what they've learned as opposed to actually teach them a new concept. Um, and – that whole structure of I need to wrap this information in some sort of umbrella of verbiage, that's all missing. And so those are, I think, some of the the challenges and stumbling blocks. And the the other aspect that that I get into is you have educators who are just concerned, technology-phobic, whatever it is, but there's – it's almost as if we fall as educators sometimes into the mindset of because I have to teach my students the things I want them to know, I need to be taught what I need to know. And so often it, that the aspect of play that kids love with a one-to-one environment, teachers are afraid to do that. So it's, you know, you put a device in their hands and say, okay, what do you think you can do this, this? And they're like, I don't know. You haven't taught me anything about it yet. <laughs> Giving up that control. And it, it's really a lot of teachers are, are you know, <laughs> it's almost like going back. Uh, one of the, the guys, that, one of the associate principals that's heading up this task force that I'm on, he's like, it's like being a first-year teacher all over again. And who wants to go back to that? <laughs> you know, and it's, it's, it really is because you've, re, you've created your own vehicle. You've basically created the wheel, yep. you know, starting – I started back in 1995. I, I've gathered all this information. I, I've put it together. You know, I've, it's fit the way that I've taught. It's always changing, but now this is a huge change where we're rebuilding the wheel, and that is scary to a lot of teachers. And it, it's there's so many possibilities. There's so many ways uh, to do this to create a one-to-one situation, and even though the districts are helping each other out, you're still going to be doing it a little bit different. It's scary. It's it's scary. So as we look to, you know, the, the possibility of play and being involved in that, you know, you talked about uh, Scott and I, Justin has two boys and I know they are involved in gaming, but uh, oh yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, Minecraft um, and that's now you said that's on the iPad right now. Right. I guess mm-hmm. it's not as full featured, I don't think. Right. No, well, it, it depends. There's a couple different uh, flavors of it, and my my boys are seven and four, and mm-hmm. so I've got a I have a second grader and a preschooler, and the I I want before, before I talk about that for just hopefully forty five seconds or less, yeah. I can I want to step back into my introduction into gaming. Yeah. Um, you know, my my father bought uh, the the first one of the first computers it was actually a laptop believe it or not but it was oh, it was it was a texas instruments laptop that was about the size of honestly of an ipad with a 6 inch screen um, and a, 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 a unit that went into the back of it and, and he we loved it for about 
oh, a, a week because then it just kept falling apart. And then we traded that in. And I think we got, I don't remember, Commodore VIC-20. And so, wow. but I, I have these fond, fond, fond memories of waking up on a Saturday or a Sunday morning and going downstairs into my dad's office and the two of us sitting, looking over each other's shoulders as we took turns at the keyboard, you know, would watch a, a either uh, we'd either be watching a game or we'd be watching a 300 baud modem, you know, type out characters <laughs> when we first got into, you know, BBSs, um, yeah. bulletin board services and stuff. Yeah. So the, the aspect of, but that didn't start till I was about 11, right. you know, and I'm, I'm 43 now just to give you some perspective, but my sons being four and seven, the, the, I, I've always had computers. I've always been involved in gaming. But at four and seven, my kids are so much further than I was, and they don't spend a lot of time on my MacBook. Yeah. What they mm-hmm. spend time on is on, on my iPads. Yeah. And right. my iPhone. And the, the ability of a four-year-old, and at the point where we got him was a three-year-old, um, to be able to understand what his seven-year-old brother is doing and mirror that and then advance upon it is, is stunning. And so – Recently, we tripped across um, from my nephews, who are 21 and 14, um, a, uh, a game called Minecraft. And uh, there's a light version of it, which is free. And then there's a, uh, they call it a personal edition, which costs, I think, $6.99 or something like that now, which gives you 30 or 40 more choices. But Minecraft basically, and I, I know, Zach, you guys have talked about it on... Uh, we, we had Minecraft Teacher, who has just taken off we were one of his first interviews and he's i think he's he talked about it i don't know i don't know when pax is or if it's already happened um but uh he's he's speaking at it or he did speak at it i mean he is just it is blown up and it's just it's exploded i have tons of kids that play it so yes we've talked about it before but man it is since it within a year it has really exploded. When you guys were talking about it, are you looking at the PC-based version of it or Mac-based version? It was, it was PC. Yeah, he had his own uh, uh, Minecraft teacher. He had his own uh, server, and he okay. created his own little worlds for the students to go through. And the um, that, that's been the intriguing thing for us because they the, the boys started with this light version, and they with with the the iPad version. You get about 30 or 40 different tiles that you can then build with and obviously destroy and build around. And you can also put in uh, different characters, I guess, that would see different appearing worlds. Mm-hmm. But with the, there's no way to save those worlds. So you can play as uh, in a sort of a multiplayer option where uh, under a Wi-Fi environment they all set up and link to each other. And then you can build on one world. And you know, as, as my sons wanted, did to me yesterday, we call it moling. Um, I was up building something on a, a house or whatever it is, and my sons went and tunneled underneath me and started knocking out the blocks to try and <laughs> drop me into a hole. And um, but the we we I jumped us up to the the personal edition because it gave us more tiles, but it also allows the iPad or the iPhone to actually set up and act as the server, then then saves perpetually that world. Does it save it online or does it save it on the device? It saves it on the device, which is the challenge. And um, especially for I'm, an iPhone. Yeah, especially because my our original world we called White Egg World, which was on my iPhone, and that was fine when the boys were playing with me. However, the struggle is I I'm not always playing with them, so I had to have them create another world off of one of the iPads, so those two are more together and uh, more more available more often. So, but it was, it's just one of those incredible aspects of here they're building and creating and, and I go and create architecture and they just, they build around, which is kind of fun. But when we were yesterday, um, part of the, you, you said we get back to why, uh, Ed Gamer is today. Um, you know, when we were yesterday, we had a family obligation. We we're driving down uh, about an hour and a half away. And as we're driving, my sons are building on this, this server between the two of them. And we had built this house and my oldest turns around and said, hey, daddy, I'm going to build a maze for you when you get in there. And when if you run the maze correctly, the first time we'll go and we'll tear it all down. If not, we're going to leave it up and you're going to have to do it again. Oh, yeah, by the way, we're going to put zombies in the basement. <laughs> and, and so he created. 
Oh, I'm sorry. My son just walked into the room. He said, no, it's on the first floor. Is it's the on maze. the first Okay. And, um, <laughs> and so, but he, he created this whole world that in some ways Minecraft itself is so primitive, you can't possibly do. But in his mind, he was able to go and take some of these blocks and turn them into the things that his creativity wanted it to be, which is just right. stunning. Right. It's just, that's, I love, what's he saying? <laughs> he was saying and the zombies have no heads because they're oh, just, a, nice. they're a green block with a uh, torch as, oh, okay. uh, as a stick. There you go. Well, it's it's that openness, and yes. uh, it's not set within rules or guidelines or you know boundaries, and that that's what makes that wonderful. That's why you know something like that or Civilization or any other games that you know are just wide open for that creativity is is, or as uh, Sir Ken Robinson would say, that divergent thinking. Uh, that's that's huge. So so having these one to one devices, okay. And is opening up so much for uh, technology within, you know, the classroom, whether it's an iPad or a computer. And, you know, I guess I have some concerns. And I, I wonder, if, especially if, as Justin, as a parent, mm -hmm. you know, having a one-to-one -one device, I guess we're all parents here, but, you know, certain parent perspective that's not within education, what... What concerns do you have, I guess, with a one-to-one -one device? And then as, as a gamer, you know, yourself, you can give a little bit of background there and then also what your kids currently do. But, you know, how do you see that uh, – how do you see a device coming from school um, being used? And is gaming part of that? Oh, gaming is certainly a part of it, um, especially educational gaming. Uh, Max has really gotten into uh, uh, Civ Revolution on his, uh, on his iPhone uh, or my old iPhone that I gave him. Um, as far as what the kids, and I was kind of curious as to what the actual, you know, goal is. I mean, is it just doing homework that you guys are looking at? Because, I mean, I noticed there, there was some discussion about the Chromebook here, and I don't think that is even possible to do games on that outside of HTML5. Um, but, yes, I, I certainly think that games would be a big part of it. Um, as far as concerns, um, I'm kind of lucky. I have good kids. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm not concerned about them getting into the uh, some of the surlier portions of the internet, um, but I certainly would want that locked down to one degree or another. Um, outside of that, um, it just that it's used productively, you know, so that they're not sitting there fiddling around on Reddit in class. <laughs> <laughs> that would not be good. Which is what well, I would do. <laughs> <laughs> so, Scott, I mean, I, I look at um, per, the sole purpose is you know, it's a creation device. It should be something that the students can use to create. Mm -hmm. They can use for research. Uh, they can use to, you know, complete tasks. Um, but I'm hoping, especially like what we were just talking about with Minecraft or Civilization or anything, uh, it's open-ended. And that's where I think you come from, Scott, is that you don't really want to lock down too much because you want to have the kids the possibility to find new things and to be able to create new pathways. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, and it's funny coming from, a, in essence, I'm, I'm a teacher. I'm an, I'm an educator by um, by schooling and education. I spent 11 years in uh, management consulting and technology consulting prior to running in education. So I come with a little bit different lens. But you know, being in charge of the technology within my building, you would think I would want to first figure out a way to secure these things. And whenever that conversation starts to come up. I immediately start to shy away because <laughs> I, I I don't want these devices for for good or for bad to be locked down. Um, it just that completely corrupts the possibility of creativity. And you know, you, you uh, Justin, you asked you a question. You know, what what is the purpose of these things? And for me, like Zach, it is a creation as well as a consumption device. And hopefully, with hopefully geared towards the creation aspect. And the, the other idea is go anywhere. Go mm -hmm. anywhere. And I challenge you to find somewhere that's not using some form of technology. And the, for, to allow students to understand that technology becomes a personal level device that I can – it's going to take me and it's going to be muddy and, and ugly originally – but I'm going to be able to figure out how I like to organize things, how I like to retrieve things, and, and how easy 
and over time that that becomes for me. And so I, I would hope that that kind of comes in here as well. But I, I would I would want a device that would allow students to explore and investigate and really bring other things into the classroom. You guys have mentioned a couple of things that probably are top of mind, really simple for you, like Civ and some of the other things that for me, I, I'm like, oh yeah, I didn't even think that that would be on, a, on an iOS level device. And so the, there's that, that idea of community finding and then saying, and, and I, I do this when I talk to my students, all 2,500 of them at least once a year. Um, and, uh, you know, we're all in a big auditorium. And one of the things that we talk about is, at least lately, is social networking and things. things. And it, inevitably, I try and choose some of the most esoteric things I can think of to, to basically reach again and say, hey, if you have an idea, if you have an interest, it's out there on the internet. There are people who have dedicated themselves to it. And whatever I choose, and one year was, was or happened to be origami, and these three girls sitting in the front row, they suddenly like squealed and turned to each other and started talking. And I was like, apparently you guys like origami. <laughs> um, but that, that idea of having a device that's pervasive with you, that if you like origami, you can go out and find apps or find a community and, and bring that back into your classroom and say, look what we can do with this. That, that to me is the end all. Well, that's the power of the internet right there. Yeah. Yeah. Quick question for you, Scott. Um, as far as programming is concerned, do they still, do you still teach that in the high schools? And, we, and if we so, do. what? <laughs> um, we, we do. Um, we actually have, uh, we've got a couple of different programming classes, and interestingly, they're run out of our math department. But we we're we in the past we've we've taught you know everything from standard programming classes to even down into uh, working with Cisco and, and networking and things. But right. um, you know we've we've worked around the the basic comments or the basic tenets of uh, Java you know, JavaScripting using okay. Bluebird and some of the other tools. But this year, there's actually two things that are happening. Coming through this year, we're um, part of Microsoft's XDA, and we're developing, mm. we're looking at developing, um, in some ways, rudimentary games uh, for the Xbox. Kodu? Um, um, I don't know what they're using right now, honestly, and I apologize for that. That's, um, that's, that's a crazy. That was just one of my fondest, fondest memories of, of the computer lab was writing my own games. And, uh, I mean, that really engaged me in, in, a, in a huge way back on the old Apple IIEs. And, sure. You know, the, the way games are set up now and how complicated they are, I don't know if the kids have that possibility anymore, you know? Well, you know, and it, it all depends on the school and the district. But, you know, with us right now, they do. The intriguing thing was we're also looking at Android development. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, unfortunately, right now, they, they have it centered around being a, a sort of a personal, develop a personal game. What I'd love to see is them expand that out to Android and iOS with the ability to create things that may service the, the school community as well, mm-hmm. develop apps for, you know, the kids for their education. They have some pretty simplistic tools for making games on, on those, I believe. Um, for both Android and iOS. I yeah. Actually, it's, it's funny. Um, I'm, I'm slowly, slowly, uh, <laughs> when time's free. Working through a, um, working through a, 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 I don't want to even say a course or a class, but there is a tool, development tool called uh, Live Code for mm-hmm. the iOS environment. And uh, the manufacturer's runrev for Live Code actually developed a, 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 a gaming, um, a, a free gaming uh, development course, if you will. Okay. And it's, it's over seven weeks, and we're in, I think, week four or five. And basically, it's leveraging their tool. But you're right; it's that instinctive idea of learning a, a language, if you will, and trying to program within that environment to create something, which is just, which is, which is awesome. But it does it does beg the question, though: Is this a possibility to develop on some devices? Like, if if you bring iPads into your environment, do you lose those programming skills that may be taught within the schools? Yeah. That's 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 kind of my concern is is there are certain things that I see that our school district does that the iPad is just not able to do, and that's one of them. You know, being able to code, being able to create, you know, well, games. Ty- typing for any length of time on it is not. It's is very frustrating. Yeah, very frustrating. I don't know you can add a you know a keyboard. I have a wireless keyboard for mine, and 
it's it's just not it's not the same. Um, and you See, get I, I, all I, these I, extra tools. I'm I'm I'm, I, I'm always annoying like this. I apologize. I was, <laughs> I, 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 That's I, what I, Jerry said about you. I, <laughs> I would I would challenge that, and I would challenge it because I think when you guys look at it, and maybe I'm totally wrong. I have no re, no research to buy the to base this up because I'm an educator by trade and I play one on television where <laughs> Justin actually is a researcher. Um, but it's it, I would challenge that fact that the perspective that you bring the typing for a long period of time on it is, is difficult from a standpoint of that's what we know. That's right. not what they know. Right. You know, I, I see where you're coming from because they're, they're kids. They type with their thumbs and they can do it extremely fast. <laughs> yeah, ab- absolutely. And if, if you look at any of the statistics, I'm not a researcher, remember, I, I, <laughs> um, but if you look at any of the statistics on, on the average amount of t- uh, text messages, text messages that were sent, by an average teenager, you're looking at well over two to three thousand a month, right. and yeah. that is easily no, almost novels of yeah. information. But it's not written in the English language, um, so just to, you just would be, let you know, you would be surprised um, if you get it. If you do get a chance, Zach, um, and you get a chance to, to to go up into the high school levels, um, I, I teach a, a number of courses with I co-teach with teachers, just different sections and units, and and mm-hmm. one of them happens to be uh, rhetoric of technology. Really, it's rhetoric is is the it's uh, an AP rhetoric class, but we use a, a week long unit of rhetoric and technology and how they how they blend together and are they friends and they really are um, to a person within that class. Almost every single one of them um, talks about they come to they come to some point where they turn around and granted it's an AP class, but they come to some point and they go, you know what? I need to have real language. Yeah. People are, when people are texting back and forth. So I use punctuation. I use proper grammar. Mm -hmm. I I use these things even within their texting, within their texting, within the character limit that they have with it, with their friends. Correct. And so, okay. I don't even do that. I mean, (laughs) not not with, not with my friends. I mean, you know, or my wife, it's, it's shorthand. Uh, To be fair, neither one of us are the most expert typists. No, (laughs) no, we, we hunt and pack and you know, that's, and that's fine. And I I see where you're coming from, Scott, you know, the, they would have, they do have an easier time. I just know that the keyboard, I mean, we have some netbooks and you know, the keyboard for the iPad is not, uh, I would say not much bigger than, than that. I just know that we have a lot of kids that struggle with trying to figure out, you know, I, I still think typing is a, a great even well, though I can't do absolute, it very well. It's an absolute skill that, you know, we should have learned. Yes, and I never <laughs> had it. And so, you know, I, I've seen where being able to type uh, consistently fast and accurate is a great skill. It saves a oh, yeah. ton of time. And I think doing that on an iPad is not as productive. But who knows? I mean, I'm using – I've been trying Dragon Dictation <laughs> on the iPad, and it's just, you know – Heck, we'll probably we won't be typing anymore. We'll be you know speaking. So this yeah, could be Siri is kind of scary. Be. How good its voice recognition is. I love Siri. It's uh, <laughs> okay, Apple fanboys. Uh, so so you know there there are some positives and negatives for the iPad. Sure, uh, absolutely. But when I look at gaming, the way I would like to use it, I know uh, Lucas Gillespie out in North Carolina. They're doing World of Warcraft. They got alienware uh laptops so you know so you know they got a grant but he wanted to make sure that the laptops that they had would run uh the games that they're trying to do so if you're doing cutting edge graphics and see some of those things you know you we've talked about games before where we could just do simple card games or board games or you know dice games whatever it is and but you know when you start getting into you know, graphics and computer, you know, graphic games. Uh, the kids are used to some high-end, you know, gra- you know. You're right, but what's coming back, at least what I'm saying, what's coming back is a, is a resurrection of 8- and 16-bit yes. type yeah. games. Yeah. And, and I, I'm seeing the same thing. You see the indie games, and those graphics, they can scale to a high resolution. Yeah. The important thing to them is no jaggies and, you know, good right. aliasing. But they, they can deal with cell shading and, and all the stuff that a Wii does, you know. And you look at you look at, at at the Wii, which is still one of the most popular devices out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you look at it, what the iPad and there's there's new discussions about. Um, I can't remember if it's the Intel chip or um, a, a new Qualcomm chip, but there's one that is basically oh no, it's um, oh god, whoever whoever. Nvidia. 
Yeah, I, it might. No, it's not the Nvidia Tegra. It's the the chip that's actually that forms the basis for the the A5 processor. Oh yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. They they basically at uh, at the CES show they turned around and are demoing their new chip, and it has twenty times the graphics capabilities, which is almost the the equivalent of what would be a, like an Xbox Live. Or PlayStation Three, and and boiled down into a chip the size of something that can fit into like an iPad, and yeah. they're 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 postulating it might come as part of the iPad Three to run some of the the Retina resolutions. Yeah, so, with the quad core and all that stuff that they're looking exactly. at. Exactly, yeah. and, and and I the other Which thing that amazing. I'm the other thing that I'm seeing uh, honestly in some of the industry is this idea of shrinking this uh, the specs but still having the capabilities so you're you're running because of these devices that are running at a one gigahertz processor which four years ago would have been laughed out the door Mm -hmm. um now many companies are going back to this hey the clock speed doesn't mean anything it's what can you do with it And, and so it's efficiency and battery life are the two big things that are driving development now absolutely and that's that's i guess that's our next topic here is that is the you know i'm gonna stop making statements i'm gonna ask questions so i'm gonna (laughs) take my opinions and turn them into questions so it doesn't make me look like you know i don't know what i'm talking about so uh you know if it's not the ipad uh is ultrabook is the ultrabook uh the next step ultrabook running uh windows windows is Uh, that it is certainly – I like the form factor. It's certainly nice and portable. Um, kids can fit in their backpack easily. Uh, I don't think they have an awful lot of horsepower to them. Um, not that they necessarily need it, but I, I'm – Intel graphics always bug me Yeah. Uh, because they're buggy and <laughs> are generally incapable of running a decent game. Right. Um, so it, the battery life is big. Not all that important, but yeah, battery life. Battery is life big. is big. Now I know that they have the Ultrabooks, and I know AMD, which uh, you know has the um, oh goodness gracious, what's the graphics card that goes with it? Well, they have Radeons and that. Yeah, HCI. Yeah. Okay, so you know they, they they're integrated now. Uh, they've come out with newer chips. That, yeah, they have a know, pretty powerful one, a Fusion or something like that. Yeah, so you, you have some d- devices that are having better battery life, um, you know, better graphics. And, you know, is, is, some, is a device like that, if you're not going to get an iPad, is this something, are these new ultra-light laptops, is that to w- the way to go? It, because netbooks, to me, using a netbook in my classroom, it does some basic things. I can type on it. I can do some other things. I try to pull up. If I try to load Google Earth on it, mm-hmm. it, it there's no way. I mean, right. it just can't, cannot handle it. And the battery life, I mean, we don't have the best battery on you, there. You, so you, well, you, I think one of the, the bedrock rules you guys are going to have to have for bringing a device into the classroom is that battery has to last from from 8 o'clock to 3.30, yes. you yep. know, <laughs> period. That's, that's Scott. That's why you like the iPad. It, it is. And, and honestly, it's, you know, I, I, I don't – I'm soft-spoken, right? Um, I, I, the, one of the things when this all kind of came up and I've got counterparts that are, are in, in kind of enthralled with the idea of the, the Chromebook and, and stuff like that. And I, I just, I have had more laptops in my building than anybody else across my district. As a matter of fact, at this time, probably close to a third to a half of the devices that are in my building are, are laptop based. And we have nothing but problems with battery life. And so I refuse. I I mean, I am adamant and absolutely refuse to put my teachers and my students in an environment where I know maybe not this year, but definitely the following year, I'll have cords strewn all over my classrooms. Mm -hmm. Because the batteries will die. Yeah, yeah, that's just the way it is. They're a consumable device. Now, they're consumable within an iPad as well. We haven't found the end life for them yet within an iPad. You know, we're only three years, just about coming up on three years into the iPad's life. And the iPad 1 still holds an in, in, in eight or nine hour charge. Mm-hmm. Um, the iPad 2 is you've got over 10, really, depending on how heavy the use is. Um, but it's, it's, a, it's a standpoint that battery life is ab- absolutely it. But here, you, you, with an Ultrabook, with a Chromebook, with a Netbook, you have other moving parts that you don't have in a solid state device. 
You've got a keyboard. You've got a screen. You've got a hinge. Um, you know, you worked, uh, Justin, you mentioned working for Gateway. Um, we had, uh, we had a, a format of Gateway tablet. It was one of the first tablets we basically rolled out to every single one of our educators about five years ago. Oh, yes. And it had this little silver ring that looked like it was a metallic ring, and you guys used plastic. Yeah. And it's this little <laughs> gooseneck part that, you know, mm-hmm. costs $40 for us to replace eventually. Um, yeah. It turned around. They snapped consistently after a period of time. And so it, you have this idea of you've got these parts that just don't cooperate with – we're not running outdoors sort of a thing. But they just don't cooperate with a, a school environment. Kids, right. are ru- so, kids, kids are rough on devices. They, they absolutely. Don't, yeah. they're, they're accident prone. They're, they just grew four inches. They don't know where their arms are. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah. I mean, battery life and, – and here's the other aspect for me. Um, we're in with in, uh, uh, Jim O'Hagan uh, made a post out of Re- EdReach about a year ago, almost a year ago, talking about are we screwing up the the idea of the iPad? The one of the other things that that I am concerned about personally in bringing in a, a Chromebook, Ultrabook, something like that is what we're trying to do is bring a one-to-one device in to meet the current way we teach or our right. current philosophies behind what a device should do. And I, I almost fear that if we bring in that type of a device, people immediately pigeonhole it into, oh, it will, it will do this. Or the aspect is, I need a device, and we've had these, these discussions. I need a device that's going to run every single piece of software we have today. So it's yeah. like, okay, great, in four years, going to be te- teaching just the way you are today. Because right. guess what? Within four years, it's not going to run all the software you need. Why? No. Because they just don't. And very few people are, are creating dynamic software that will leverage older technology. So I, I'm, I, I'm you know, definitely leaning away from that, that idea of the Ultrabook because I think it's going to be the grown-up netbook. Yes, it's more powerful, but you will, you will ask it to do 10 times more things than you may ask to do an iPad or, you, or your students will be just as distracted as we are when you know, you're in the middle of the show and they, you know, your, your email pops up or somebody else pops on a Skype or something right. where you've got you – know, one of the things that a lot of people like about the iPad is that idea of – I've got I'm one thing. There's one thing that I'm working on. And, I'm oh, not, and it's simple okay. enough that even the smallest – smallest your, your four-year-old knows how to work it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean there. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Scott, you're you're sorry, sorry. you're throwing you're throwing wrenches into my uh, my my thought process, but that's that's not a bad thing. It's uh, wow. So the Ultrabook, I think, is better than well the Chromebook. I I love the idea of the Chromebook, but it it, seems it, it's so not limiting it, though. What's that? It seems so limiting though. At least it is now. It, it's so early in its development cycle right. that you don't we don't know what it can do. Right to begin with, but now, five years down the road, much. <laughs> five years down the road, an HTML5, if that takes off, right, then who knows? I mean, it might be able to do everything you need. I mean, right, because you can do Google Docs and 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 surf the internet, which is great. That's what you're needing in class, of course. But right, uh, so you know, I, I think the future of that could be could be really good because not only is Apple, I mean, well, Adobe's dropping, you know, Flash. I mean, Flash <laughs> is still going to be used for a long period of time, but unfortunately. Yeah, so it's it's one of those things that it must you be know, really easy to program. That's <laughs> Chrome, yeah, the Chromebook does have potential. The Ultrabook is able to run many different things and I think it does have some potential for right. you know, for what we're doing. But, you know, you got me thinking about that thought where if you keep the same technology that you're using today, you're going to still be doing the same type of teaching. Mm-hmm. That's, that, and, and that's, again, it's just it's just a perspective. Yeah, that's. Would you be open to like a Windows 8 type tablet? Um, or have you, you know, fiddled with that yet? I, I haven't physically fiddled with one. I've seen the early the early prototypes and the early launches that are out there. Um, I find it telling that Microsoft dropped the Courier project. You know, that was that was supposed to be its answer originally to the iPad and that the majority of the Windows 7 tablets um, and moving in towards the Windows 8 ones are what I've heard slow, loud, Mm -hmm. prone to heat problems because Microsoft is a company I still don't think gets it. And so they they're they're not. Oh, I guess 
put it this, this way. This is in my, my mind. We all, we all use Word, Excel, PowerPoint. Right. Um, we all use probably five functions within every single one of those. And maybe if we want to get crazy within Excel, you might be up to 10. Um, but there's three or four or 500 different functions that are in there because Microsoft it really has this idea of let's load everything we possibly can for any possible um, opportunity and advantage and let's not streamline just about anything. And I'm concerned that Windows 8 tablets are going to have that same philosophy. Even though you'll have the little slick Metro UI that allows you to, oh, look, everything's a tile. Well, no, it's really, it's just a little program. Everything's a little program, but I can have eight or 10 or 12 of them running at one time and then it all slows down. So you don't think it's streamlining it. You think it's just masking it. Oh, absolutely. You know why? And the reason that I think that, look at, look at, <laughs> look at Windows 7. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Look at Windows 8. I'm sorry, well, let's go backwards. Look at, um, let's start with Windows 95, which had a way to get, <laughs> which, which had a way to get back to the 3.1 look. Then right. you had Windows ME, same thing. Windows, and as soon as you graduated in Windows XP, 98. Oh, you're right, it did. Yeah, I apologize for that. Which yeah. was actually better than ME. Um, that, uh, uh, yeah. But, uh, but it's one of those aspects of Microsoft is very backwards looking. And in Windows 7, you can still make it look like classic Windows. Yeah. In Windows 8, you'll still have some of those capabilities. And so they are very reluctant to do anything other than put a face, a new facade, and a new way to access things as opposed to fundamentally structurally change I'll, the I'll underlying glass, OS. I'll give you a glass half full. I'll give you a glass half full on this. I'm, Xbox 360. And that is a – it's a simple – That's only a, a lot of people in Microsoft that hate that. <laughs> yeah. and, and, but that's that's – that simplifies. It's streamlined. It's a wonderful. It's a wonderful device, and that's why it's. I think well, that's I'm, I'm encouraged by by Windows Phone, which is so clean. Um, maybe they're starting to get it, but I've heard the ARM versions of those tablets, which are kind of silly because there's no backwards compatibility with them, but they are supposedly running a more modern version of it. There's no ability to go to the back to the old XP look. There's no sure. way to, uh, and it automatically closes programs in the background to save battery life, supposedly. So right. it's much more like a Mac what it's Apple do. device. Yeah. Yeah, it's more Apple-like. Yeah, yeah. It's, it, it, my, my only concern with a uh, iPad is the ability to are the capabilities there to share and interoperate with other devices, non-iOS um, devices? Other non-iOS devices? Yeah. I'm, yeah. Not, I'm not entirely sure what I'm thinking of. I, I'm just well, in the back. So, something that we, you know, have in the notes here is that I'm I love Google Apps uh, for education, which is basically you know Gmail and Docs and and, and many other things that. Uh, instead of using Microsoft and the collaborative piece of that is wonderful but it does not play well on an iPad mm-hmm. uh, it's better with the iOS 5 but it's still it's still clunky to me um, that's that's one piece that I think if if the iPad or if Google was able to write something to make that better that would be definitely more appealing to me Oh, and, and yeah, and I, I agree with that because we're invest, starting to investigate uh, Google Apps for Education as well. And we're hearing very similar things. It's, it's clunky. It doesn't play well. And part of it is the way iOS sandboxes. Another part of it is the way Google's written it. Right. But, but I will say, you know, when, when you emailed me yesterday the show notes, um, I tapped a link on my iPhone and I had the show notes in there and I could see other people editing. I yeah. can I can edit Word documents and spreadsheets in a very similar manner right. within those within the, that collaborative environment, it, and that's better. That's it, better it, than it, what it wasn't for. Oh, absolutely, and uh, you know, hopefully it'll con- continue to get better. But the the question is, does Google want that type of interoperability, especially if they they are successful at cl- closing the Motorola deal? And I just don't know. But at the same point. There is so much challenge with you know other Android-based devices and things like that that even even within Android-based devices, Google Apps for Education doesn't play well yet. Yeah, and I mean so, I have an Android phone, uh, and I called. I have a Sprint. I have Sprint uh, Nexus S um, 4G, and 
you know, AT&T and uh, T-Mobile already got their updates. I'm still waiting for, you know, yep. uh, the next version, yeah. ice cream sandwich. But, you know, even with the version I have now, uh, Google Docs works very well. Um, you know, uh, Google Plus works very well. How it integrates, and it does it even better with ice cream sandwich. Sure. So it's going to be interesting. It's just it, what's frustrating right now, I guess at CES, there were tons of Android devices. Very little were ice cream uh -huh. sandwich, and that's it's it's that disconnect or um, the keeping the operating system together like what Apple does so much better. Yeah. I think is a huge problem for Google. Well, but, and Android is awful on tablets right now. Is. And I'll, I'll let you know when the XDA people manage to get uh, ice cream sandwich on my touchpad. But uh, <laughs> well, they're getting closer. Uh, there yeah. was an article just yeah, just last night in reference yep. to that. Um, yeah, there was a and video I can do that with my I can do that with my phone, but I'm just kind of like I've had problems in the past. I know it does fairly well, but I need I, I don't have time to play around to to put little mods in here and there on on a um, on the operating system. So I just right. keep what I have. And, and see, and that's that's my challenge in looking at you know I, I and I seem to be very Apple centric, and I I will be the disclaimer. Which is fine. I, I am. <laughs> I, I I have lots of Apple devices, and I love them to death. I really do. Um, well, but we're missing one key point though with the Apple device, and maybe maybe on Thursday when Apple does an announcement, everybody's talking about textbooks and 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 how that's uh, because Steve Jobs wanted to, you know, really get into the textbook market, but how devices, how these devices, iOS devices work within the schools, and that is the biggest challenge, is. Uh, updating, keeping the iPads, you know, connected, and I, th I think the cloud iOS five does a little bit better job of that. But I mean, is that stuff that you've seen, Scott? I mean, I'm sure that's part of your discussions. Oh, you know, absolutely. And and we're all, I think everybody's waiting with with bated breath, if you will, um, for the 19th to hear what this announcement is. Um, the one of the struggles is with and it's been with the publishing industry for years uh, is they are very set on you know they they know how to but how to plan their revenue for textbook adoption cycles of six or seven years they know how to how long they have to build out supplemental materials before their the release of the next textbook if you will and they build their industry around it. And the publishing, I've, and I've written, uh, I've personally blogged and written about this um, a number of different times. The publishing industry is really struggling with trying to figure out electronic devices and electronic medium. And unfortunately, districts are now at a point where um, there's everything from usability studies um, of kids carrying around so much in their backpack and, and on that point districts away from the desire to purchase textbooks and they want to move electronic, but publishers have to crack this subscription model. Yeah. And, and maybe this is going to be, maybe it's going to be the idea that, um, we'll be able to pay a low, low, low cost. You cannot continue to ask districts to spend 60 to $150 a book per kid that a kid's going to use for one year. Right. Um, if we could drop that model down to a much more reasonable, uh, reasonable price. But the second piece to that is the book can't just be a static PDF ripoff. It's got to be a fully immersive, interactive um, piece of technology. But it's also as things need to get updated, they get updated, get re-rolled out back to the, to the districts. That's going to be a demand districts are going to have because if I'm going to settle for that same stagnant, stagnant set of information, I'm going to encourage my faculty to build the textbook. Right, and that's growing. I mean, that, is, that has been huge uh, in creating your own textbook um, and, and being able to publish that within your, within your district to streamline the costs. Uh, you, have, you, know, you have content content experts within your districts and you know you should be able to put something together and, and districts are like well forget this we're gonna loop around you and and not even use you yep. um and i think this is maybe this will be one way that apple might be seeing that and saying hey let's let's do this because it, was it steve jobs is was talking about not only having textbooks but having that content for free was that um, part of it? You know, I, I, I haven't gotten my way completely through, although I got it on pre-order, um, Steve Jobs' biography. 
Um, but I, I don't know. Apple has never been a for free environment. Oh, no, 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 no. They, no, well, they, they're going to have to get something out of it. Well, exactly. And, you know, iTunes University plays very well into what Apple does where they're publishing content because then individuals are moving into iTunes and while you live there, then you can buy other things. Yeah. But I don't know if they'll go that, that route. I, well, I, the quote, the, the article that we'll have on the show notes too is that uh, Walter Isaacson, who's, you know, the author of his uh, Steve Jobs biography, uh, said the first hint of Apple's plans to circumvent the state certification textbooks by giving them away free on iPads. And uh, the book was not very clear how this business model would work for Apple, publishers, or educational institutions. But Jobs apparently wanted to hire textbook writers to create electronic interactive versions for them on the iPad. And, and, and other, iTunes U does helps out with that too. Oh yeah, and, and, but there's other there's other um, there's current app developers that are moving into that model. Inkling happens to be one of them. Yes. Um, and so you know, and they and they were the ones that actually started this idea of chapter. You know, just purchase a chapter. You know, you, yeah. if you walk in, look at the syllabus at your college level, and you look and you see you only need seven chapters out of this book. Only buy seven chapters. Yep. Why buy the whole thing? And you can use them for a temp, a temp time. So I think Apple learned from that model. Um, but I, I do think one of the major, and this is purely speculative, speculative, but I think one of the major announcements is going to become a very easy EPUB publishing platform for yes. iBooks. Yeah. It, I think that in if Apple does nothing but that, at that point, it enables schools to actually take control of their content. Yeah, and that's that that would be awesome. I also look at you know the way iTunes did for music by giving it at you know oh yeah a, a, a cheap cost, which would be kind of like instead of buying the whole album, I can buy you know individual songs. Well, here's the whole book. Hey, you know what? Like what you said, you can buy individual chapters and have it at such a cost that uh, it'd be so much – it'd be f favorable for, for schools. Oh, absolutely. You know, and if, if, you're, a, if you're a kid or a, a, a parent who – you know, your son comes home and they're, you're trying to, to, to actually learn an aspect of, you know, particle technology, right. um, you have this ability now to search – an environment and go, Oh, I just need this chapter because it's going to help me with this. I'll buy it for a buck 99. You know, that, that idea of a dollar, $2 is, is really, especially with the app model has blurred the idea of actually it, that it costs anything. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, it's now, it, now I think four ninety nine or, or six ninety nine is that new threshold of, Ooh, that's a little bit of money. And yeah, yeah. so at a dollar or $2, that could be a, a stunning concept. If they can pull it off with the with the publishing publishing industry. companies, yeah. Well, it's I think they kind of um, push the music industry around to get them on board. Yep. I think the textbook industry is starting to see the the writing on the wall, and might have to uh, jump on board. So that I guess that could be a good bad thing. And, and well, and another good test of it. Remember when iOS five was launched and newsstand was launched? Mm -hmm. There, the the majority of newsstand publications have seen an increases in subscriptions. And so I haven't, I haven't even used it yet. <laughs> yeah, and you know what? Honestly, neither did I, because when I got past the, some of the free content, I was like, you know what? I can get the same thing from yeah. publisher's own app or something else. But yeah. I, I don't Here, Here's the differential for me. You're not going to find that within a textbook. Right. You know, well, the, 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 the gaming part is, uh, you know, the interactive versions of books, uh, yeah. it, Having that, I mean, you know, I know Discovery does. They they've tried to you know to work this in where they might have a show uh, or they might have uh, some type of content, and then they have interactive games or uh, materials that go along with that content. Um, I think that's that's huge to get. Not only it's good for them as a business model, but because it gets them you know um, viewers and people onto their website, but it's it's also giving that content in a different. Um, learning style, different way. And I think that could be wonderful. I have a great, uh, it's a, you know what, I'll post it on, it's a app for uh, Rome. And it's almost like an encyclopedia. You know, it gives information about uh, ancient Rome. But one of the coolest things is that I can see a picture of the Colosseum as it looks today and push a button and it will show what the Colosseum looks like 
in uh, you know that back thousands of years ago. The other cool part is that it's one of those where you lift lift it up, you can go 360 mm-hmm. and turn in a circle oh, cool. and see everything around you. Well, bring it in, that, bring in it 360 uh, here. I mean, you're essentially turning a textbook into a game. Yeah, and that's yeah. sort of the whole idea of what we're doing here. Yeah, yeah. And, exactly. and, and you know, here's a, a hopefully very brief story because I, I do everything in stories. Um, <laughs> it's I, like a social studies teacher. Yeah, well, that's where I, that's where I before I took my current role, I was did did teach social studies. So I'm so I'm not. with you. Um, <laughs> so does Scott Meach, by the way. Yes, yes, we have a lot in common. Yes, we've got um, something about history buffs and the technology. We don't. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah we, you would think we would be Luddites and wouldn't really want that. <laughs> yeah. But um, hey, my, I tell you this much though, my chalk still works on my driveway. Um, <laughs> here's here's my vision of this idea, and it plays right into the gaming model. And it, and it's 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 a story. This is really a, a true story that happened. Um, I, I read to my sons a lot. Yeah, you know, being my wife and I being educators, and you know, we just I, we just have a passion for reading and writing and stuff. And so um, I, I read to my boys all the time. And so I got to a point where I was like, oh my god! I mean, we're I I should take a picture of of how many books that we have for you know somebody who's only seven years old. But <laughs> I started I started reading. I mean, there's only so much you know, Bill the Bouncy Bunny that you can read before you start to lose your mind. And mm-hmm. so. Um, when my boys got older, I was like, you know what? I'm going to read them a Tom Clancy book. And it just, and it just happens to be, well, sort of. Now, now this is a personal well, you gotta edit, edit, but yeah. edit okay. version of a Tom Clancy book. So is this, uh, was it Red Storm Rising? Um, you know, I that's only a thousand pages. Yeah. You know, and, and I'm okay with that because we, we're up to chapter books now. But th- this, was, this, was, <laughs> this was probably, um, uh, this was a, a, a few months back and, and so I was like, I was like, Hey guys, I want to read, but I want to read something different. And I said, you know, would you like to learn about or hear about submarines? And they're like, yeah, <laughs> I'm like, okay. So I, I blurred the lines of, of some of the, the more uh, graphic things. And, but at one point, here's where, here's, All right, here's kids, where the, this is what you tell me what a caterpillar drive is again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but here, here's the thing that was really cool. This particular book, um, had, um, a, uh, they started talking about basically missiles blowing into uh, a, a, a volcano that sits on a, on a fault line um, off in the Canary Islands. And so as, as I get to this point, I, I, you know, I just looked at the boys and I was reading off the iPad and I looked at the boys and I said, Would, do you know where that is? And they're like, no. So I went and highlighted the name of the, the volcano and I you know, double tapped out, launched Google Earth. They brought up where we were. I put in the name. I tapped it. The whole world rolls around and brings right. us off the coast of Africa. And now we're looking at it. And they're like, wow, that's really far away. I'm like, uh-huh. And I said, well, would you want to see the volcano? And as Google Earth starts to populate <laughs> up, it, you know, photographs that people have taken and posted into Google Earth start yeah. to pop up as well. And mm-hmm. so I just start tapping on, on these things. And here we are sitting in, in their bedroom. And now they have a, an idea of the scope of, of size of the Earth, the distance between us and where this fictitious event is happening. And they can physically see, you know, what this volcano actually would look like, you know, from different from different vantage points. Now, that's my idea of textbooks. And that's how yeah. I, I think, you know, as Justin said, this wraps in the gaming, this immersive way to, to learn and stretch and grow. And that's, uh, you know, for me, not to put in one last plug for a iPad, it's a different device when you can touch the content. You can feel yeah. it. You can move it. You can expand it and contract it, roll it around, swipe it away. And, and you know, as you just put that augmented reality where I can now spin around physically mm-hmm. is what makes this such a potential for yeah. – tremendous uh, tremendous potential for education so your your son's teacher you know has sent you a note now saying that i'm kind of concerned that your son knows what icbm means <laughs> so a, you know when just, when we when we when i first got my iphone 4s um we were the boys were goofing around with it and it, it, it was a typical seven-year-old relatively potty humor that they were asking siri to do and look for yes. say but the uh, like two days later, we're back in the car, and Josh goes, "You know, um, he said next time I get a chance to to use Surrey, I said, oh, he goes, I want to. He goes, I'm going to ask her if she knows where Martinique is. And I was like, <laughs> What? How do you know where Martinique is? 
and, oh my goodness. And so it was just so funny that the you know that you know yes they'll use it for all kinds of things that are fun and entertaining for them, but they also hear things and they they you know interact with, with conversations we all have, and then they're like. Hey, we should ask Siri that. Last night we were on the way home, and uh, we were talking about volcanoes again. It seems to be a, theory, a topic with me and them. Um, and Joshua was asked about lava, lava and magma, and what would it look like? And I said, you know what? When we get home, let's go and you know tomorrow, and we'll look at volcanoes and how volcanoes are formed and how they work. I, That's you wild. Could, you could not do that prior to this type of an environment. Yeah. I want to I want to put in a quick plug for since we're talking about Google Earth, if you ever want to waste an afternoon, there's a, there's a <laughs> place called MapCrunch.com. It just takes you to a random street view anywhere in the world, and I, I swear I, I've lost more hours just randomly clicking and finding a uh, a side street in in Spain. You know, it's just great. Anyway, <laughs> well, that's awesome. Well, on that note, I think we've <laughs> it's our longest show in a on a long while. Um, so I think we'll end it on that. We had a couple other things that we wanted to talk about. Maybe save those for another day. So thank you for listening to this week's Ed Gamer podcast. I think we we did talk talk about gaming, didn't we? Yeah, no, No, it's all things that involve (laughs) gaming. It's the, it's the structure of how gaming would be added digitally within the classroom. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay, good. Okay. <laughs> Even the, okay. So thank you for listening to this week's Ed Gamer Podcast. Please follow us on edreach.us and follow all the great podcasts. Uh, EdReach Podcast, right? Yes. Scott, and, and blog posts on the EdReach Network. Have a great week.